one of the things that I, I like to talk about is that the compulsion to drink was lifted. Miracle, miracle, miracle. A capacity for gratitude? Where did that come from? I don't, I don't even know. I, I could not identify that emotion. Resentment, I knew, but gratitude? And now it's, now it's all over the place. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. How you doing, Don? Sam, I'm not satisfied with just putting down the drink. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, but now I turn my attention to what our founder, Bill Wilson, called the next frontier, emotional sobriety, to boldly go rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we have not even dreamed, seeking strange new worlds, new life, where we will know serenity and we will know peace. For we have recovered. We are like passengers aboard the Starship Enterprise. Oh, Don, 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 okay, okay, okay. Dude, you're getting a little caught up there, man. Um, (laughs) So the topic of this month's issue of the Grapevine magazine is emotional sobriety. There's some powerful stories in there about the next frontier, as you call it. Like not in getting angry at the broken washing machine, but calmly going about installing a new one. How did they do it? That's some ninja level recovery right there. It sure is. I like the story about a meeting where they don't have cookies every week. They have hot dogs, buns, ketchup, relish, everything. Chili and slaw? Mm, I'd want that too, but I don't think they're Southerners, Don. No chili and slaw. Aww. Still... (laughs) I'd like to go to that meeting. I, you know, I think I'm going to start a homemade biscuit meeting. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> really good. What kind of biscuits are we talking here? We'll have all kinds. We'll have a ham biscuit, sausage. sausage. Yes. Got to have the mustard on the sausage biscuits. Sausage and mustard. You can smell it when you walk in and you go, ah, sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> That's a meeting I'd go to also. Well, who's our guest today? Well, today we're talking to Peter A., who has a story in the March 2022 issue of The Grapevine on page 29, In the Right Place. Question, why should he put the cart back where it belongs? It's raining and no one will notice. Yeah, so we're talking about self-regulating. Hmm, yeah, doing the right thing and not getting caught doing the right thing. Uh-uh. Well, that's what happens in sobriety. I'm the one living my life, and for that, I am responsible. Let's see what Peter has to say. Hey, everybody, I'm Peter A., and I am an alcoholic. I'm currently living in Connecticut, but I've only been here for about a month. I recently moved from Southern Oregon, where my home group was the uh, morning fellowship meeting in Ashland, Oregon. I got sober on July 13th, 1996. I didn't drink on the 12th, but I was in jail, so I I don't think that counts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you got in a little bit of trouble. 
I got in a whole lot of trouble. And thank the Lord that I did. I needed every single cop on the beat to pull me down and and stop me because I was just out of control. Wow. Talk about a power greater than yourself. No kidding. Thank you, Judge. (laughs) Hmm. What was going on at the end there? I mean, did did getting thrown into prison, was that a strong enough incentive to say that I want to get sober someone else's way and do everything that they asked to do? You know, I just, I, as a lot of people talk about, I had just, I had run out of options. I had one of the most idiotic suicide plans ever. Um, I knew it had come down to the last days and I just, I, I, I just, I decided to blow it all up. The fact that I came out of that alive and that, uh, I've been able to, I've been able to live a, a sober and happy life for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things looking back on it, it should not have worked out the way that it did. Talk about making it attractive. No kidding. No kidding. We can't get here from there. <laughs> you can't get there from here. And when you look back at it, you go, wait a minute. When did that part really happen? When did I stop being insane? Because um, I, I had no trouble talking about insanity when I first came in. I was loco. Well, when did you go to your first day? I mean, I went to the, my first day meeting the, the, the morning after I got out of jail. My, my wife had bailed me out. And that was tricky because uh, I was a binge drinker. I was an intermittent. Mm-hmm. And I was a sneaky, uh, dust kicking, manipulating, run for cover kind of drunk. So I was able to fool my wife into thinking I didn't drink for 12 years. When she came and got me out of jail, she had not known that I had a drinking career. Hmm. But I was in a jail wow. cell and I, I ran out of lies. I just ran out of lies. I ran out of plans. I ran out of everything. Did you think you were an alcoholic throughout your drinking or were you convinced that you weren't an alcoholic? I think being intermittent drink, you know, we have two kinds of ways that well probably more than that ways that that, people drink (laughs) oh yeah but someone who drinks intermittently and a binge drinker and then someone who drinks constantly and cannot quit for any reason and one of the definitions of alcoholism that's talked about all the time in meetings is if you start drinking and can't quit but an intermittent drinker has a kind of a different situation there and can question am i a real alcoholic so how did that work for you well, it's interesting, you know, uh, uh, I, I had moments of clarity along the way. And moments of clarity are, are not spiritual awakenings because they're moments when things become clear, but you don't change. And I remember being 19 years old and looking in a mirror and saying, you know what, you're a drunk. And then some uh, 15 years later, I was at a sporting event with a friend. And instead of watching the hockey game, I, I got drunk again. And I saw in his face, this guy is a drunk. And I knew that, and it made no difference at all. Now, it, it, I got to say that when, you, when I first came to meetings and, and my story didn't sound like everybody else's, I had to wonder. But then, I, but then I came to understand, when I started, I didn't stop. And I only drank the way I wanted to drink. And the only way I wanted to drink was by myself and downtown as fast as possible. Uh, no conversation, no social life, no dancing, no nothing. I was in a meeting and somebody was talking about the strange things they did before they drank. Mm -hmm. And I remembered when I set out to have my binge, I drank a lot of water. I drank a lot of milk. I took aspirin and I never ate anything that I didn't want to see come out of my nose. (laughs) This is serious planning. 
That sounds alcoholic to me. Yeah, maybe, maybe just a touch. Very much so. <laughs> so I'm curious, describing yourself as an intermittent yeah. binge drinker, what was the, uh, uh, the frequency? How long would you go between drinking? I could go somewhere between four and six weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah but during those four to six weeks, I was hell to live with. Oh, I bet. I was, yeah. ju- I was just thinking about the next one, planning the next one. I had to do it out of town. I had to find some way that I could sneak away. So it was uh, it was four weeks of absolute torture for three days of total binge out and then started all over again. And during all that time, during those four weeks, for instance, um, I imagine alcohol was on your mind. Never stopped. I like to hear people talk about thirst because that's that's the phenomenon that I knew a constant thirst. I get it. So my drinking career was not constant but it didn't have as great of a duration between drinks as mm-hmm. yours did or drinking binges. I was drinking, getting plastered yep. every other day, every two days or something like that. And so my cycle was, you know, get plastered, drink until I pass out. Exactly. And then recover for a day or two and then do it again. Yep. All that wasn't so bad. I'll be, it'll be fine. <laughs> And so, you know, there are multiple ways, multiple drinking styles, if you will, of we alcoholics. Peter, when you came into AA, what was uh, one of the things that the steps asked you to do that was seemed impossible once you did it? You saw the benefit? Yeah, I had no trouble at all admitting that I, that I was powerless. I mean, the evidence was profound. And as I said, the idea of insanity was, was really easy. But the notion of giving up my will and turning it over to a power greater than myself, mm. that, was, that, was, that was sticky for a while, but not for very long. When you say sticky for a while, but not for very long, is that you know, coming into it before your last drink in those early days in, in AA? And it's like, eh, this isn't, but, and then when you say not for long, what changed or how did that change? Well, I guess what I want to say is this, that through all of that time, uh, before I got to AA, uh, even at the lowest points, there's a part of me that always knew, always knew that there was something, there was something in me, uh, you know, I'll call it spirit or soul, whatever you want to talk about. And I knew I was beating the hell out of it. And I knew I was degrading it. And I knew I was losing it. When I came into AA, it was like I was a candle with just a little bit of flicker left. And I was just sitting there flickering and not feeding it anything that it needed until I started hearing people in the rooms tell stories that knocked me sideways. And not because they were, you know, grotesque or over the top or anything, but because I saw, I saw them and I heard them and I heard their hearts and I realized that their humanity was there right in front of me if I would just sit still long enough to hear it. And when that happened, I was ready to take some instruction because I, I saw their spirit come back up. And that's one of the things I find most important about going to meetings. You know, they, they, one of the lines is uh, people who don't go to meetings don't get to see what happens to people who don't go to meetings. And that's true. But my, my notion is people who don't go to meetings don't get to see what happens in meetings where that, that newcomer who was a wreck and tearful and whose life was nothing, all of a sudden you just, you see a little bit of them coming up and then a little more and then a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, maybe it happens someplace else. I don't know. But for me, it happens in the rooms of AA and holy mackerel, what a ride. It is a great joy. 
Hey folks, just a reminder that we'd love for you to call in with your Ask the Old Timer questions and recovery-related jokes. That number is 212-870-3418. That's 212-870-3418. Also, if you use hashtag heard in a meeting on social media, we may wind up reading your post on the show anonymously, of course. You can always write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org with comments, suggestions, and such. All this and more is also available at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. You know, I think it's always interesting that the stories that we hear early in sobriety, it was hearing other people's stories that changed right. my thinking and made it okay for me to change my thinking. And right. so, you know, I, we say in AA, we, we only tell our stories, but this is an instance where it's very interesting to hear what was one of the stories you heard that changed your thinking? Well, yeah, here's the one. So I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in a meeting and, you know, I'm a, I'm a faker. I'm a manipulator. So I've shaved, I'm dressed, I'm trying to look good. Yeah. And there's a there's a guy in the meeting who looks like hell, who's just beat up, ragged, beat down. And I'm looking at him and thinking, I don't need to hear anything that this guy has to say. And this guy had nothing. And he, he lived under a bridge. He was one of those guys. He was, he was a guy whose life was on the street. And he spoke with such incredible gratitude about what he was experiencing on a day to day basis as he began to recover his life that I thought, holy mackerel, if, 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 if he can summon gratitude with the world that he lives in, man, I've got some growing to do. But I, that's, when, that's when I realized that I would never know who was going to say what I needed to hear at any given time. That's the truth. It's a beautiful thing. That, yeah, it is. You know, we're people who normally would not mix. no. It's no. amazing. I remember sitting in a men's meeting many years ago and this one fella who just really scared me. I mean, he was <laughs> tough and rough and, and and I'm sitting in this meeting and and repeatedly I go to, I was going to the meeting frequently and frequently he was dropping these gems uh, that were just they were they were giving me chills. Yep. And I was so scared. I was like, is this my next sponsor? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't i never did go there but it really it, it is amazing that if i will open myself up and simply listen to the people in the rooms yep without judging yep you don't know where the message is going to come from you never know you never know yeah uh, i had a, uh, an experience with a person who affected me in exactly the same way terrifying and his story was terrifying but he he used a phrase that still sits with me, which in talking about his recovery, he said, you know, this has happened and that's happened and my life is great and I've got a wife. And, I, and he said, but I'm one drink away from the ditch. And that really was encapsulating exactly what my experience of recovery was. One drink away. That's all it will take. I heard a guy, I was at a meeting and he was a biker, a great Big, burly guy, looked like a bear, great big black beard, covered in tats, wearing leathers. And he'd been sober a long time. I could tell from what he was saying 
And I just identified with him so much. And we were talking about being filled with fear, a corrupting thread. Yep. And he said, you know, I come in here to these meetings and I can share where I really am and what's really going on inside of me. And happy hour was a different place. I would go to happy hour and I couldn't share with the guys there and his face twisted up. I'm filled with a hundred forms of fear. He said, I would have got my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I identified as like, AA is a different place. The bar was filled with bravado and boasting yep. and complaining and about my resentment. And yep. people feeding those resentments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what they did to you, they shouldn't have done that to you. <laughs> yeah, today, my friends in recovery, I can come to them with that type of thing, and they might let me go on for a minute or two, but then they're going to be bringing around to program to, uh, what's your part in the, what's... Yeah, that's why? exactly right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that, that line, I've been uh, going to meetings for about a, a year and a half, you know, slowly, slowly, reluctantly... Because I, I didn't want you to see too much of me. I wasn't making a whole lot of progress, but I was making some progress. And I, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was having a fight with my wife. And in the dream, I said to myself, yeah, but what's your part in this? And I thought, something's creeping in. Something's getting in there. There's some, I'm, I'm hearing and meeting something that I need to live with. And that's really the basis of a lot of my behavior from that point on. I hear you. This self-reflection that I'm given by working this program or letting this program work on me. Letting a program work, yeah. It's incredible how it has changed my life. Yeah, yeah. And this is your story that's in the Grapevine magazine. This, I just love this. What I thought of when I read your story was, again, what I learned from someone else. My sponsor, sponsor, he said in a meeting that he threw a piece of trash into the wastebasket at work. And it bounced off the edge of the wastebasket. And he sat there and was going, you know, now that I'm sober, I've got to go pick that <laughs> you up. you got to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's happened to me. Yep. Tell the story about the pouring down rain. Well, it's just, you know, it's just, I, I mean, exactly that moment. It's a, a miserable day. It's, it's not just rain. It's sleeting. It's, it's the kind of rain that you, you don't want to be in the rain. But you shopped, you got your cart. You unload the cart in the car and you know it's halfway across the parking lot to the place where the cart goes back. Mm -hmm. And you're in that moment, you have that choice. I could drive away. No one's looking, but I can't do that anymore. I have to take that cart back. And, you, and not only that, if I see that somebody else has left a cart that, that might blow around and hurt another car or another person, I've got to put that cart away. And that's kind of, well, if you're talking about emotional sobriety and, and that next frontier, uh, what I'm looking for when I'm, I'm looking for evidence of emotional sobriety, it's that recognition that we're no longer able to do those things which we know are not the right things. If we do the right things, the world turns out fine. If we do the wrong things, it's a mess. A phrase I heard that really stuck with me was, there are no small lapses in integrity. Ooh. You can't fudge it. For me, there's no room. There's no room to cut a corner. And, I, you know, it'll happen. I'll, I'll be sitting there and go, oh, gee, I'm not, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And I can debate it for a while. I might even drive away. 
but I'll come back. <laughs> the spiritual life is no longer a theory. It is no longer a theory. <laughs> it is out in the rain. It means getting out of the car <laughs> and inconveniencing myself yep. and being responsible for my yep. behavior and not leaving it for someone else to be out no. in the rain and have to take exactly. care of it. Indeed. Exactly. I just, I want to repeat what you just said, it's just because that really hit me. There are no small lapses in integrity. None. That is powerful. No, yeah. there's no one there because it's just like my drinking. You know, once I give a little bit, I give a little more and a little more, and it's easier and easier to slide around and shade the truth and and maybe you know pretend that i'm something that i'm not that stuff is really sticky and it happens really fast uh, here's here's a story that I, I hate to tell about me i have two stories that really embarrass me uh -oh. uh, i'll tell you i'm about 20 22 years sober i'm sitting in my home group in the wonderful uh, room in the presbyterian church in, in ashland oregon i get up i'm going to use the men's room there's a 12-foot ladder somebody's been doing some work in that room and my first thought, my first thought when I look at that is, I could use that ladder. And then I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this building with a 12-foot ladder? <laughs> <laughs> that's where it goes. You know, after all these years, yeah. that's where it goes. I could take that and get away with it. Mm, no. I was sober like six years. I was working in a furniture showroom. And they get all these books for display purposes like a thousand books delivered and they're concerned about the color of the books. Sure. Well, there was a first edition copy of the old man in the sea by Ernest Hemingway. Wow. I said, they don't care if I have this. I know the, all the people who work here <laughs> and I picked it up and I was going, you know, it's just a book. And I put it in my box. I was carrying some stuff out. And as I walked by the front desk, the designer and the secretary looked over at me and I, had a rag and pulled it over top of it and just covered that up as I was walking out. And I was riding down the elevator. I'm, I'm sober. Yep. I said, Don, you stole that book. Yep. Yeah. They don't care whether you take it, but why do you have to hide it? Yep. And I had to go back and make amends. And, and then they said, you can have the book. See, there you go. But I can't live with myself. No. Yeah. Because that is behavior that yep. was me. What step do you think, Peter, where does this live in the steps? Well, that's interesting. Um, I know two people. I've, I've been lucky enough to have two mentors who, who, who live in the steps. When things come up, both of them respond by saying something like, well, there's a step for that. Mm -hmm. For me, it's almost always the first step. It's almost always my idea is better than anybody else's idea. I can do this on my own. I can get away. It's almost always back to that feeling of my power, my, my, my plan, my plan. When I get lost in my plan, it, it's not good. Yeah. So it's almost always the first step. I was going to say inventory. I do inventory in the moment, kind of the way you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's where I put it on the screen and take a look at it and say, I don't want to live with that. That's step 10. Yeah. Continued yeah. to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Yeah. But when we talk about, you know, hanging on to those old ideas, all those old ideas are about, you know, I deserve it. You don't. Uh, I should be able to do it. All that stuff. I need to remember that that plan didn't work. It just, when I talk about insanity, I, I remember I took something that didn't belong to me. This is back before I came into AA. Mm-hmm. 
And the guy, the guy called me a thief. And this is insane. What I said was, well, I might have stolen it, but I'm not a thief. Right. <laughs> I identify with that statement because <laughs> I said that, unfortunately, to my sponsor as I was doing my fifth step. Would this, would this be about cadmium red, Don? <laughs> it would. And he said, Don, if you take things and it does not belong to you, you're a thief. Yep. Well, that's a little harsh. That's really tough. Wait a minute. <laughs> yep. I just want to add one more voice. So we're 100% showing here that this is common. Yeah. I remember mm -hmm. in early sobriety for me, a moment when I recognized that I could take this. I was doing some, some work for a client uh, in their home. I went into their son's room. He's like a 10-year-old kid. Room looked like a bomb had exploded in there, you know, typical kid's room. And there was an iPod sitting on the dresser. The thought was just instantly in my mind. I could take that so easily. This room is a wreck. It, <laughs> it got lost. The kid yep. lost his iPod. Whoa, where did that? I can't turn off that thinking. I, right. I am powerless over that thought popping into my head. Yep. I have access into power in the next thought. Yep, that's exactly What do I do with that first thought? And right. I don't entertain it. Right. That kind of illustration is really, is really clear. Sometimes it's not as sharply defined. <laughs> but for me, the, the instruction I give myself is... What's the best thing I can do right now? I don't need to debate. I just need mm -hmm. to know what's the best thing I can do right now. In your situation, it's just walk out of that room. Leave the ladder in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> the person I was drank, and yep. I have to change my behavior. And it's through the steps that I change my behavior and I'm yep. able to live differently so that I don't have to drink anymore. Yep, yep, yep. I love that. And Don, it's through the steps that I change my behavior, but it's through getting to know people in meetings and around meetings that I am inspired to change my behavior. Yeah. When people ask what happened, I'm not embarrassed to say I fell in love. I fell in love with AA. I fell in love with the stories. I fell in love with the emotions. I fell in love with the humans. One of the big moments of transition for me was I, I, I couldn't miss a meeting because I had to know what happens next. <laughs> best soap opera in the world it, well it is <laughs> it's way better than television oh yeah <laughs> peter thanks so much for joining us today oh, thank you guys thank you it's been a real joy chatting with you well thanks and i will uh, look forward to hearing you through the months ahead AA says that we are people who normally would not mix. Well, that's sure true for me. I drank shots. I drank mine straight up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc., we don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. 
Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.